Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Nora Loretto, journalist, podcast host, shit disturber. I think you wrote a book. Hello. Vancouver hater Jesse Brown. How are you? <laughs> Today on the show, Nora, when I grow up, I want to be a consultant. It sounds like a really sweet gig. Also, who to hate? When it comes to healthcare, the prime minister or the premiers? Do, do, do we have to choose just one? Welcome back to Shortcuts, Nora, where we talk shit about the news. Thanks for having me. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Andrew Arsenault, Ashwin Ramakrishnan, Tammy Tiber, Alex Williams, Rebecca Hopkins, Vince Chu, Kristen Sorensen, and Lance. Hi there, I'm Lance. A potash commodities analyst here in Hamilton. I support Canada Land because it's one of the only media outlets brave enough to tackle issues of economic inequality and corporate greed, and because I'm able to sleep soundly at night knowing Jesse reads everything we send him.
The Business Development Bank of Canada is facing a backlash this morning from current and former employees. They're questioning the multi-million dollar contracts the Crown Corporation awarded to consulting firm McKinsey. Get some answers on why the federal government was spending so much money on one outside consulting firm, Global Management Consultants McKinsey & Company. Now the consulting firm is under parliamentary scrutiny for more than $100 million worth of government contracts since 20. 2015, 46 million of that sole sourced. Nora, I got to confess, I didn't even really know what a government consultant was until a couple of weeks ago. And, and now it just seems like we're hearing about nothing but these government consultants. Mm. McKinsey, McKinsey, that's that's the name that's on everyone's lips. And uh, there's been some really interesting coverage about it. I mean, you know, Paul Wells has been kind of on fire breaking this down and explaining this all over the place and uh, helped me kind of get my head around it. It seems like this all started with a Radio Canada investigation. This was an investigative piece by Romain Chouet and Thomas Gerbet, all focused on McKinsey. And under Trudeau, it seems like there's been a 400% spike in contracts to this one private company to do what? Like, I, I, And I'm learning that it's like, I don't know, everything. Get your head around, like, what does a government consultant do? Like, they consult. They give you some advice. No, it's like, it's everything. Have you been following this? Oh, I sure have been. And I've been shocked at how little it's been followed by English journalists, to be honest. You know, I read French media, and it's not just one report. Gerbet and Chouet have been on this for months, and they broke news about McKinsey contracts with the provincial government in Quebec and how they were paid something like $36,000 per day to consult on COVID. And unsurprisingly, the pair that have been focused on McKinsey provincially is the one that broke the, the initial news. Um, first, that there was uh, a tenfold increase in the contracts, and now that the, the amount has gone, I think Harper had it, uh, was, was spending something like $2 million or something like that. And now it's more than 100 million dollars in contracts going to McKinsey. It's frankly stunning. I can't believe this isn't a bigger national scandal. I, I mean, it's shaping up and Pierre Polyev is definitely uh, rattling sabers about this and ma making hay. What the reporting on the McKinsey controversy showed over the last several days is that the public servants believe that they could have done the job themselves. And then they, they had these, you know, these aliens from outer space coming in and presenting them with a bunch of PowerPoint presentations and fancy charts and graphs uh, that produced no value and interrupted the work of our core public service. I think we need less of these PowerPoint presentations and more actual work and delivery of service to the people on the ground. I love how Homeboy like never misses an opportunity to dehumanize whoever he's against. Uh, you know, like it's <laughs> they're, they're aliens from outer space. Was that necessary? Anyhow, why is this a problem? I'm certainly getting a bit of, a, of an education here. I mean, the National Post, they had an interesting story about how the McKinsey contracts, like $100 million, that's nothing. An analysis from Carleton University, the Post reported, shows that federal government has spent no less than $22.2 billion in a year, 2021 to 2022, on contracts across all public service departments, agencies, and organizations. But that only includes those that proactively disclose their contract spending. There's a lot of them that they can keep hidden. Mm -hmm. So why is this an issue? Why is this a problem? 
I'm getting a bit of a uh, quick study in that too. And and just a quick study in McKinsey, like this, this is like this massive global organization. They've got 30,000 consultants in 130 offices across 65 countries. It's, you know, completely private company. And they'll often do things like help the tobacco industry fight against government health agencies and, and get paid millions of dollars by the tobacco industry while also getting paid millions of dollars by government health agencies to regulate tobacco. They'll, they'll do those mm-hmm. things and they don't disclose who they're doing business with. And they say, trust us, we've got great ethical rules internally. It kind of goes beyond that. And it's not just McKinsey. All these interesting details are coming out. Also from Radio Canada, uh, as you mentioned, we're learning about the Quebec government, 35 grand a day in payments to uh, McKinsey for pandemic advice, uh, over $6 million. Here's another one, uh, Daniel LeBlanc uh, reporting for CBC, that this government agency, the Business Development Bank of Canada, who also give millions of dollars to McKinsey, there's like this separate kind of like private expenditure little mini scandal. Isabel Houdon is the president of this government agency, the Business Development Bank, and CBC reports that like this time that she she calls her employees to the lobby where she set up like this very slick talk show set and has like a whole TV unit streaming this to thousands of employees across the country, these government employees. And she calls this an outreach event. And it comes out that she's paid this woman, Rebecca McConan, uh, over $11,000 in public money to interview her. Like she's the host. This is like a former Music Plus VJ. And the two women start like chatting, talk show style, about a shopping trip that they both went on together as buddies in Paris. And all of the government employees are watching this, like they've been pulled out of their jobs to watch their boss have this like talk. It's called an outreach event. And they're like, what the fuck is this? The whole thing cost over $300,000. I don't know, all kinds of little spending scandals. But like the focus, I think, is on these consultants. And McKinsey, like it looks like the Trudeau government just outsourced their immigration strategy to these consultants. And then the Arrive Can thing. There is another one that's coming out in the wash. And a lot of it, I think, got ignored by people within media because it was coming from the anti-mask, anti-vax crowd that Arrive Can is a big scandal. But it is a big scandal. It turns out this terrible, shitty app where the government spent $54 million was being handled by a company of two fucking people. It was two people. And then they subcontracted to their own consultants. Mm-hmm. It goes on and on here, but it's just been ballooning. And you know it's been referred to, and there's like a wire story out where these academics are saying, what we have here is a shadow public service. Yes, exactly. That's what the real problem is. I guess this has been going on for a very long time, and I've just been kind of ignorant of the whole thing. Well, it's hard to see, right? It is a shadow phenomenon. I'm far less surprised by this because I know that this is how the liberals operate, but it is shocking how much and how uh, spread out it is because you've mentioned a couple of departments. I mean, the Immigration uh, Refugee Citizenship Canada contracts are pretty surprising because immigration seems like something that a government should be deciding for themselves and not outsourcing to an American company. And there was also this advisory body that was set up to advise Bill Morneau on the budget. And I think it was 2016. This advisory committee was chaired by Dominic Barton, who was a 30-year-long McKinsey consultant. And Barton, he, he gets named this position while working for McKinsey. He ends up leaving McKinsey while working for the Canadian government and then slides right into a position as the ambassador to China. Mm-hmm. 
which is like, wh- what? And he doesn't even last very long, right? After two years, he gets plucked by Rio Tinto to become uh, their global chairperson. So like, there's a lot of money, power, who's pulling the strings, who do we hold accountable? And it's part of what makes it feel so slippery. Like who is responsible? It allows our politicians to talk as if they're just passive observers to all of this stuff too. Oh, I know it's so sad that this is happening or that is happening. Oh, I totally agree. You know, Trudeau often sounds more like uh, someone on the street with putting a microphone in his face. What do you think about this issue than the guy who's got his, you know, hands and all the levers? People can understand that uh, professional public service needs to make sure that it's uh, doing uh, the things the best way to well serve Canadians and uh, regularly draws on outside expertise. I don't want to necessarily come to the conclusion without even examining that, like, private industry equals bad. And I'm trying to see this from the point of view of government. This accusation, oh, you've outsourced this, like, in different contexts, they say, yes, we outsourced it. Super efficient. I get that a new government comes into power, and I get that there's a lot of red tape and bureaucracy, and they've got an agenda and a mandate to to do all kinds of wonderful things, and they're like, damn it, all the public service is telling us, and this was sort of explained to me by Paul Wells, you know, is like, slow your roll, it's going to take time, and you've got this, like, shiny thing, you know, there's this private company that is like, not just can you guys give us some ideas or do some research, but like, can you actually come up with a plan for us? Can you help us execute the plan? And as it was described, described, like some of the best and brightest go to these consultancy firms. You know, they get paid a whole lot more. They don't have the same accountability and transparency requirements. Like it's it's a lot of talented people there. So it can look like a really good option. I think that any organization likes to outsource things because like, do I have to do that myself? Can I just hire someone? Like the idea that somebody is just going to be like so slick. And I also imagine like in any situation where you're dealing with like huge money, client services, there's like a white glove aspect. Like it must be a lot more fun to be working with this like global conglomerate who values your business and treats you really well. I can't, I can't imagine how much, how many meals are on McKinsey's tab uh, in, mm-hmm. in the client. You know, that, that doesn't happen when you're dealing with, with with public servants. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I get why they get into this. And maybe there actually is some wonderful stuff they do. But as you dig into no. the reporting on it, <laughs> Radio Canada says, in fact, a lot of the public servants are saying like, the consultants suck. Like the consultants are, are delivering very generic, hollow work work. They come in with pretty colors. This is the quote, pretty presentations. They say they're going to revolutionize everything, but they make a mess. And who do you blame? Like other times they'll advise you to do something. And then once you do it, it's like, well, we can actually help you execute that. So like, were they actually advising you or were they just making more work for themselves? And then the fact that they have so many other clients who need things from government, you're like, well, who are you actually working for? There's a lot of issues there. Well, yeah, frankly, you're, you're talking like someone from a business perspective, like the idea of like outsourcing the best and brightest minds, maybe this is better than government. I mean, government is government. <laughs> they, they literally exist. The public sector literally exists to do this work. And so if it was the case that the best and brightest were at McKinsey, but if that was the case, then there's a different scandal the different scandal is then what's going on with the public service, right? But that's not even what's happening here. As you mentioned, a lot of public uh, servants are saying that the advice that they're getting is not very good. You also quoted off the top, uh, Polly Ever talking about the public service being able to do this work. That was the same line that Yves-Francois Blanchet and Jagmeet Singh used. Basically, what I see is that this government cannot be left alone. It has to be under scrutiny all the time because they have some really bad habits. And what I think is really interesting is, you know, 
The opposition parties, I think that the NDP has been shockingly absent on this issue, like just completely ridiculously absent. I think Paul Ever is doing his populist thing, which which makes sense from the perspective of, of his goals and the approach that he's taken. It sounds like he's arguing the same thing you are, which is that you've got a public service to do this work. Yeah. Well, we do. I mean, literally, we do. That's that's the truth. I just want to point out that you agree with Pierre Polyev, which is just, you know, pleasing for me. In, in I mean, <laughs> come on. I, I just get like, some pleasure right. out. Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, just call me anytime if you want to hear if I agree with, uh, with Polyever, which is rare. It is rare. But what's happening in Quebec, which I think is very interesting, is that Quebec's leader has called for a meeting with the top bureaucrats in the province to grill them on what exactly are the knowledge gaps that McKinsey was trying to fill. So not just using this rhetoric and using sound bites to say, oh, this is so like wrong or bad or whatever, but actually trying to use government's processes and systems to put the top bureaucrats on the spot. But we cannot have this conversation assuming that government is just business. Like government is elected to do the will of the people. It's not like they're elected just because of this promise or that promise. I mean, that's what it's turned into. That's like the boutique politics of what we have right now. But the literal functioning of government is you have career civil servants who understand how to do certain things. They become experts in whatever they're doing. They provide advice to the political establishment and the political establishment either takes it or they leave it and they struggle with the bureaucracy to try and steer it in different directions. That's how government works. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to work. One thing that I'm learning, and again, I'm you know a neophyte to these subjects, is that it's not that shocking to anybody on the inside and everybody's been doing it forever. And the only thing that's different now is that we're looking at it and, and that uh, it's seems that one thing that's different is they're doing a lot more of it. But it's, you know, it's rich in a certain way for Polyev to make an issue out of it because Harper, who he served under, was doing the exact same thing. It's just a question of degree. So, yes, the public service is supposed to handle these things, but I'm learning that, that it's been a long time since they've exclusively done so. And, you know, I'm not an ideologue. I mean, I, I, I'm with you like that. That sounds good as to how things should be. But if you were to tell me, like, look, there are occasions where this has worked wonderfully and they've been able to de- deliver things that I need because of this. I, I might be swayable, but my perspective on this and my interest in this is as a journalist. And this is really where I kind of decided where I stand on this. When you are working with a private company, it is completely opaque and all of our limited powers to figure out what the fuck is happening in government, to FOI material, to hold people accountable for what happens, it just disappears when you're dealing with the McKinsey's of the world because they are private companies and they just say, oh, that's like a trade secret and it's all in a black box. And I have to wonder if that's not just a side effect of government working with these companies, but maybe that's part of the value that they offer. You know what I'm saying? Like if you if you work <laughs> yes. for these if you work for these companies, no one's ever going to get to see how it happened, what happened, and who said what, and that actually becomes a feature, not a bug. Part of the services that they provide are secrecy, and I think that just by definition, journalists have to be opposed to that. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. 
but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Nora, the time has come for us to note things duly. What do you have? What I would really like to duly note is the news that is coming out of Saddle Lake Cree Nation related to the Blue Quills Indian Residential School. The school operated between 1890 and 1970, and hundreds of children died drinking raw milk at the school. The news broke yesterday, and... You know, it's tied to these searches that we've heard from so many communities looking for the bodies of missing children or children who died within these schools. Raw milk or unpasteurized milk was something that did not need to be served to the children. And a report from Global News makes the point that the teachers of these schools, the leadership of these schools were drinking milk that was safer and that they were not getting sick. And, you know, It's so important that we refuse to be desensitized to these stories because they're all horrible. They're all part of Canada's genocide. They all have echoes to this day. There's lingering impacts of these kinds of horrors. And so I am duly noting this, and I hope that everyone has a chance to go and look up this news and share it with their family and friends. Nora, duly noted. I have one for us. I think we got to start with this uh, segment that ran on CBC Radio in Vancouver last week. Well, it was a tweet that was heard, well, across the city anyway, and it came from Vancouver freelance journalist Michelle Sisa earlier this week. Now, Michelle wrote, I listened to Canada Land this morning, and Jesse Brown claimed that no one has ever been inspired by Vancouver to write a great novel. So now I feel obligated to do a thread about great Vancouver novels. Tell us what got under your skin about what Jesse Brown said then. Paint the picture for me, you listening to this podcast. Well, I think like most Vancouverites, I really get my hackles up. I'm still from Toronto. Make fun of our great <laughs> city. <laughs> yes. And, <clears throat> and a friend actually sent me a link to the Canada Land episode saying, can you believe that Jesse Brown saying there's no great Canadian novels set here or written here? What context were these, were these comments made? I mean, Jesse Brown didn't just come out and say there's never been a great Vancouver novel or Vancouver's never inspired anybody to write a novel. <laughs> no, he was talking to comedian Mark Maron. Great oh, okay. Guy. Yeah. 
And, you know, I think he's maybe regretting those comments now because thousands of angry Vancouverites have been tweeting at him all week. Well, and this is the thing I find so astounding because when, when, I mean, when, when Jesse Brown finally responded, he basically just doubled down. I guess rather than just being disparaging about Vancouver, you know, does he elevate Toronto at all in his, in his uh, thoughts about it? No, absolutely not. He says Toronto also hasn't inspired anybody to write a great novel. (laughs) Okay. At least he's, at least he's dishing it out with both hands. He has some good things to say about Montreal. Well, everybody has good things to say about Montreal. Nora, why do these people care at all about anything that I have to say about literature? (laughs) I couldn't imagine caring about it. I don't cover or review literature. I don't study literature. I don't write literature. I don't read literature much. My opinions about literature are basically worthless. And yet... This has been going on for a week. That was on CBC Radio in Vancouver. (laughs) There was an article that the CBC posted as well. The Globe and Mail did a piece on this. Here's the Globe and Mail. It's about time Vancouver was recognized as a cultural hub, all in response to my podcast. Recognized by who? By me? Like, like, (laughs) what's wrong with these people? When I said that Vancouver never inspired anybody to write a great novel— I was talking shit about Vancouver, not about its literature. I don't think it was particularly controversial shit that I was talking either. Like I said, Vancouver is not inspiring in the way that like if you're walking the streets of New York or, or New Orleans or Hong Kong or Paris, like there's not a lot of cities like this, but there are certain cities that like you are just nowhere in the world but in that city. Like, Vancouver is not that. Like, its singular marketable characteristic visually is that it doesn't look like any place at all. It doesn't look like anything. Like, when you're in Vancouver, you might be in a dozen other cities. And that's why they're able to shoot all kinds of TV and film there when they can't afford to shoot in the city where the story actually takes place, which is the same thing about Toronto. I don't think that my crime was what I said. It's what everybody says about Vancouver. I think my sin was that I said it to an American. Mm. Isn't that the thing? Like to say that to an American celebrity who likes Vancouver, who's thinking of moving to Vancouver, that's unforgivable, right? That's That was my sin. Nora, I don't want to duly note any of this. It's, it's been given too much notation. <laughs> it's been far too covered. What I'm duly noting here is not any of that media coverage of what I said on the podcast. That coverage should not have happened. What I'm going to duly note is Vancouver If you love being offended so much, did you hear that interview that I did with Mark Maron? Because in that interview, Maron says that there is a ceiling to the Canadian personality and that Vancouver is pleasant and boring because all the talented people have left. That is an insult to every single person who chooses to live in Vancouver or this country. It is pure American chauvinism. It is wildly offensive. I said so in the moment, but I have not heard one single person peep up about it. Okay. So I'm on the record as having specific Vancouver opinions. I have to be a bit careful because I also uh, have no, a lot you don't. of no, you don't. folks who I love and who love uh, the work that I do in Vancouver. Do you want to know what I thought of when I first saw your comments about Vancouver? I guess. I thought that you must have been stuck in like 17-year-old Jesse Brown brain of a Mordecai Richler novel and that nothing can hold a torch to Montreal as a literary city. It's not even like, uh, 
when you're in Montreal, you know it's you know you're in Montreal. <laughs> Quebec City, maybe you can make a case for. Of course. Like we're talking about culture here. Have these people not been to cities? <laughs> How could you live in Vancouver and th- possibly imagine that you are in a city like that? It's just boggling to me. <laughs> I think it's it's probably best if 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 I, I duly note this sooner rather than later, so that this doesn't go on for another three weeks uh, in the in the Vancouver media. But uh, I will note that the apex of musical homages to a Canadian city is the Spadina bus by the Shuffle Demons. And you're right. Nothing has been produced as good as that from Vancouver. Just say the words already. (laughs) Duly noted. Nora, have you heard this ad? Federal funding has fallen to just 22% of the cost of healthcare in Canada, and it continues to decline. Provinces and territories are doing their part, but we need the federal government to restore funding now to keep our systems strong. A message from Canada's premiers. It's very weird to me, this like ads from Canada's premiers running on a ton of podcasts. Uh, CBC had that going. Like They bought a lot of space. You, you hear that one? I have not heard that, no. I'm trying to get my head around the healthcare situation where it seems like the public is just like astonished every day that like can they do this? Can they get away with this? Can things be this shitty? And like you turn to the premiers and the premiers are like, have a public relations campaign saying it's not our fault. It's the federal government. I always consult with 12 other premiers on this and it's not going to be a a one-off for Ontario, another for someone else. We've all agreed, all the premiers, we all have to work together and uh, stay united. And that's exactly what we're going to do. I hear Trudeau And he basically says it's the premier's fault. It's the province's. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving you this money with no conditions. I'm giving it. uh, I will will fully uh, participate in the funding of it as long as those real improvements are made. It's not like I don't hear where he's coming from. It seems like the federal government's point, the Trudeau's point is, look, we could give more money to the provinces, but it's terrible value for money. It's throwing good money after bad. They have done so poorly with the healthcare funding we've given them so far. And we have some pretty simple demands for accountability and trackability and measurement and things like that before we release the money. And that sounds reasonable, but I guess the premiers sound reasonable as well when they're saying like, look, we're suffering here and we're waiting for this federal government money. And what I don't understand beyond just trying to figure out who's right here in this fight, like, what do I have to do with it? Like, why are you both appealing to me as a member of the public Mm. to, like, sympathize with one side or the other? We're hurting here. It's worse than it's ever been. And I think it's kind of like chipping at the core of, like, you know, whatever patriotism we have is rooted in, like, universal health care. We have this great health care system. It's what you talk about with Mark Maron when he is uh, thinking of coming to Canada. And yet it's, like, nothing to be proud of. And... Both of the powers that you might look to for accountability are saying it's the other person's fault. Yeah, yeah. So I think that it's all bullshit. It's just so much bullshit from up and from down. And it points to the fundamental problem of federalism in this country. So we've got provincial governments that have massive surpluses that are relying on private operators to do health care on the absolute cheapest possible a model so that those corporations can make money for the hedge funds that own them. And we've got a federal government that they have two principal roles, three principal roles in healthcare delivery. One is healthcare delivery to indigenous communities on reserve. Two is collecting the money and redistributing it through funding mechanisms. And three is upholding the Canada Health Act. 
the Canada Health Act is something that I'm not hearing enough about in these conversations and talking about there needs to be strings attached. We're not just going to give money to the provinces because they keep pissing it away, blah, blah, blah. It's like, do something with the Canada Health Act then. Impose the Canada Health Act. Start refusing under the Canada Health Act certain private provision of of healthcare in this country. Because both sides are pretending that it's the other side's fault. Federalism is, is literally set up in Canada to make sure that there is never anybody who's ultimately responsible. It's a colonial structure that was decided in 1867 that has only grown and that has given certain powers to one government and certain powers to another government that has created a nonstop loop of passing the buck. That is what the problem is. And it always is like this, except now we are in decline. We are, we are a society in decline. We are witnessing a healthcare system in decline. People are more and more dying in emergency rooms. You can't get access to doctors. You can't get access to the care that you need. And so this, this loop of blaming the other, which has always existed, is now becoming more obvious because we are becoming more desperate for certain things to change. On the question, though, of the premiers themselves advertising directly to Canadians, that is extraordinarily curious, except when you think that it serves every single one of those premiers for their population to think that this is Justin Trudeau's fault. So you're saying that the federal government should invoke federal law to deny the province's money because of privatization? Not necessarily deny, but like, my goodness, there are ways that the federal government can insist that privatization needs to stop. Like that, that is what exists between the, the, the arrangement. Trudeau is right when he looks at the provinces and says, like, you've got, you've got surpluses. What are you doing with these surpluses? Spend the surpluses on healthcare. You know, so this is why I just think that this whole kind of conversation, the way the conversations had is total bullshit and it's meant to confuse us. I feel like the conversation happens again at this ideological level of do you support public health care or privatized two-tier system? I support public health care. It's very important to me. But if I need some shit, if I need like uh, an MRI or if I need to have cataract surgery, I just care about the quickest line to getting the health care for me or my family members. Mm-hmm. I live in a world where that's already been the case where, yeah, I don't know, uh, you know, seeing this in practical effect when family members go there, it's like, oh, that, that'll probably be a more pleasant experience. Uh, and, and they were able to do it a lot quicker than in the fully uh, public system. I think that we also have to somehow allow for a conversation that allows people to be hypocritical because when it Mm -hmm. comes to actually like the health of our children or things like that, we don't always make decisions on purely ideological. We make make decisions on practical lines like for our own well-being. Or we don't make decisions. You know, like when, when my kids were born, they were hospitalized for months and then they were whisked right away to a private clinic. And the doctors that we've had ever since have have been private doctors. Now, they're integrated in the public healthcare system, so we don't pay. We do pay for some things, although not always. It's not consistent. doesn't make any sense. So I'm talking about, like, maybe a vaccine this year, but not the next year kind of thing. So I think that you're right that we have to have a conversation about what privatization already looks like within the system. Who's operating what? And what are those surgeries? Why are they able to do surgeries that are not the urgent ones that have to be done in hospitals, the knee replacements or the hernias or, or or cataracts or whatever. Now, what I find so fascinating about this is that these private clinics that operate across Canada in different jurisdictions are learning so much more about healthcare delivery than the public system can learn because you can't have public hospitals or public health agencies operate across provincial lines because mm-hmm. of the constitution. And so we, we've been given this like strategic advantage. We're giving a strategic advantage to these private 
clinics who are able to figure out what the best way to do something in a city, what's the best way to do something maybe in a less densely populated area, what's the best way to do this in the most efficient manner to save money, to be able to make money. The other piece in all of this is the absolute failure of public sector managers and politicians within healthcare. They've cut and cut and amalgamated and brought in new ideas that have completely transformed and destroyed healthcare systems in, in a lot of places in this country. I will admit that I get lost in this stuff when it comes to actually like grappling with like, you know, uh, how to fix this. And given that we're already so far down the hole of privatization, like just like, you know, stopping all of that, right? That doesn't seem like a really good idea, given how bad things are in the public system right now. I don't know exactly how to return things to where they were before, which was not good anyhow, or to make them better. Yeah. But also, like, let's not pretend that this is extremely complicated. Like the public healthcare system was created by publicizing, by nationalizing private operators. And it could be done again. It wouldn't be difficult. It would take, well, it'd be a little bit difficult, but it would take political will. And it would take a politician that was like, fuck you, private operators. This is a public good. You're not going to profit off of it. But there's other things too, like bringing more decision-making lower down to the people actually on the front lines, giving them the resources to be able to make the decisions that they see are wrong within the hospital system or wherever they're working. We also have a doctor crisis thanks to the intentional restriction of doctor education across this country. And so it's very difficult to become a doctor now, not only because it's prohibitively expensive and you have to be the smartest in your class, but there's not even enough spots. So people are leaving Canada to become doctors and then they're often not coming back because they fall in love in Ireland or in the Caribbean or in the United States. Journalists have a very important task to cut through this bullshit, to refuse the, the, the talking points and actually pointing to no, wait, why did we train more doctors 20 years ago than we do today? Why is it prohibitively expensive to become a doctor? Why are personal care workers paid and treated like total shit when the entire system is run off of their back? We have to really avoid falling into the trap that this is just such a huge, complicated mess because it is a huge mess, but it isn't as complicated as a lot of people want us to think. All right, you got me good and angry. Good. Nora, that shortcuts. Thank you for that. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. All right, we're on Twitter at CanadaLand. I can be emailed at jesse at CanadaLand.com. I read everything you send. Nora, where can people find you? You know what? Every single morning now, I'm doing daily headline briefs, seven to 10 minute podcasts. It's through the Sandy and Nora feed. So find Sandy and Nora anywhere you get your podcasts. Check it out. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofor. Theme music is by so-called syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you value this podcast, any Canada Land podcasts, please support us. We rely on listeners just like you who actually pay for journalism. That's how it works here. As a supporter, you will get premium access to all of our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. We give you lots of stuff, our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merch, invites, tickets to our live and virtual events. But the main thing is you will be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You will be keeping our work free and accessible to everyone. Click on the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join to become a supporter. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. 
This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.